0: Well, good morning, Reliance. That was really cool, listening to that interview. Thanks, and Naomi, and Mark. So today's scripture passage is Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9. And would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land... He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath, only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, Reliance. Thank you, Naomi, for sticking around, even though I'm not Adam. We all strive to. Oh, I could stop. I'll stop. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about this passage. It's one of the longest chapters in Genesis. Thought about having Justin read the whole thing. I had him read nine verses. But I want to walk with you through this story um, about this unnamed servant. He's ordinary. If have ever wanted a window into the household of Abraham, what it was like for his family and the servants, how they walked by faith. We get a window through the up to this point about how Abraham and Sarah walk. But how did his servants walk? And what we get to see, I think it's, Fitting in this last episode, which is which was read this morning, Genesis one through nine, of Abraham's words as he hands off a responsibility to this unnamed man, who was consciously aware that the affairs of men are guided by the hand of God. It was this awareness of God that the servant had that shaped the very way. He walked. He was consciously aware that the affairs of men are guided by the sovereign hand of God. So much that it shaped the way he walked. And it is for those reasons I want to talk about church planning. That feels like a jump. Often I recognize when I come to the text... As elders, we have been talking about church planning for quite some time in the background. And when I come to a text like this, often I do not get to talk about what we talk about, a lot about. At least not directly when it comes to a passage like this. But because the reality is, is that when we gather on a Sunday morning, one of the things that we have committed to as we walk through a text together, as we allow the theological conviction of that pericope dictate how we convictionally respond to the theological reality that God has placed before us. In that regard, when I come and walk through the text weekly with you, I don't get always to talk about what I want to talk about. Because the, shit that the text actually dictates what we're going to talk about. It's helpful for the people of God to do this. To let the Word of God dictate our own conversations as we walk through it. Now, I recognize I just said I want to talk about church planning. And that feels like a springboard at this point. And I'm not going to delay any longer because I want to get into the text to show you how I'm getting to that conversation. Because this story is not about an unnamed servant or about Isaac and Rebecca's union. It's about all of us. Who ought to be as the people of God, consciously aware that the affairs of man are being sovereignly guided by the very hand of God, and the servant knows it. And this is why it shapes the way that he walks. And so with that, let's get at it. And I want to just, for the sake of time show you that so where we know where we're going together, this story is shaped in four uh, parts. The first part is his sending which was read this morning by Justin. His second uh, section of this story is his approach before Rebekah and the way that he acts. His third part of the story is his exhortation in which he's going to make before his family, Rebecca's family, and finally his, his testimony before Isaac as he comes back. There's four parts to the story that shape and uh, develop this theme that this ordinary unnamed man, servant of Abraham, was aware that the affairs of man are guided by the very sovereign hand of God and shaped the very way that he walked. So let's get at it, his sending. Verse 2, when I stated that the servant is ordinary, I don't mean that he's insignificant. He's the old eldest of all of his servants. Look at verse 2 with me. Abraham said to his servant, the old of his household, He's, he's significant in the sense that he has a rank within the Abraham's house, and he was in charge of all that Abraham owned. And it was to this individual that Abraham gives this charge go find my son a wife. Now, I know that some probably have taught or preached this passage about how one goes about finding a wife for their son. I, I think that is down the ladder. I think there's something even much more specific being displayed here for us to grasp. For Abraham's son, Isaac, has been now 40. Sarah in chapter 23 has passed away. God has fulfilled a promise, giving them a son. Ishmael, he's married. She's building up a family. Isaac is all alone. Abraham, concerned that that promise will be fulfilled in the line of Isaac, Well, you need a wife. And so he turns his attention to this. I love the fact that this man, this servant, is unnamed. And more detail is going to be shown to us as the reader than any other individual we find in Genesis. I think the purpose of that is to, it's not just Abraham whom we know. It's not just Isaac, Isaac or Jacob, all these named figures, leaving it unnamed provides the opportunity for ourselves to be inserted into the story in our own time and season to walk in such a way. He says, go find my son, a wife, servant, he's kind of concerned. So you want me to go to a place that's outside of this land and bring a woman back? Look at verse 5. His concern is this. Servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing Follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Recognize in verse 6, Abraham's response is absolutely not. Promises that were given to me were from God and not to be interwoven with these people. And so he has this desire for his servant to go back to his clan where Abraham was from and find a wife. Now just to be clear, The expectations placed for the servant is is a lot. Isaac is now 40, getting older and age, right? So you want me to go find a woman outside of this land to come to a place where she is not known? She's got to be willing. She's got to be available. Not only that, the family has to be willing to send their daughter off to a place they've never seen to a to a family that they're, that they're accustomed to, but don't know. It's a big ask. Servant's like, well, I can do it. But what if she's unwilling? And Abraham, he, he does this thing and he reminds the servant about what God has done for him historically in verse 7 and 8. The Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying to your descendants I will give this land. He turns his attention. God's faithfulness to me and bringing me here, make me prosperous. He Turns his attention to the servant. He will send his angel before you. And you will take a wife for my son from there. You're not going about this Alone. But there's an escape clause for this, gentleman. If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this this oath, my oath. Only do not take my son back there. The woman must come here. God is in this. He will go before you. And if God is not before you and the woman is not willing, she won't come. Therefore, you're free. God will provide another way. Abraham, in his instruction as a leader of the household, that view of God who is, is able to work within the hands of people's lives is now passed on to this servant. And we will watch as this servant then takes up in verse 9 and 10 the, the materials necessary to go on to the journey. In verse 10, he takes 10 camels. I need to mention this because when he gets in part two of this story, we see the transition in verse two or verse 10. His approach to this land that he is unfamiliar with. He takes ten camels, and along with him, all sorts of variety of good things with him. And when he makes it to the land where he was about to find his, this wife for Isaac, he ends up having to be in a place where he's not sure, and begins to do what every individual who trusts in the Lord he prays. He's got all sorts of wealth with him. Camels were relatively rare and stressed the idea that Abraham was successful. Look at, I find it interesting in verse 11. I don't know if you have it, uh, but he makes the camels kneel down by the well of the water at the evening and then he begins to pray. Look at verse 12 with me. Look at how he prays. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master abraham when he's praised grant me success make it happen uh, like a word for word like a literal make it happen in front of me i want to see your hand cuz i'm in a place like just Stand by the road and like that car, that person in that car is the future wife, Isaac. This is where he's at. He doesn't know where to even begin. So you got to let, let it happen right in front of my face because otherwise I'm going to be oblivious, oblivious to whom this future wife, Isaac, is going to be. So show me your loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. This is what I need. So now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. I need some help. And so, being unable to see that which God sees, can you just show me your hand? Or literally, show me the one who has been appointed for Isaac. Because this unnamed, ordinary man was consciously aware that the the very walk and pattern of humanity is guided by the hand of God. And he says, I need a little help. And as he prays, look what happens in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca. Now, writer does something here for us. Rebecca, he, he's going to layer on who this woman is. The servant is unaware, but for us, as the reader, we're made aware of who she is. She's related to Abraham. And so here he inserts this for us to know who she is. Behold, he had finished speaking, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Melchah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. We know this is the woman as the reader. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relationships or relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So go to a land that's where you're unfamiliar. Find this type of woman. Single, available, unbetrothed, related to Abraham, and willing. <laughs> Good luck. But yet he is trusting in the Lord to, to reveal who this woman might be. And when he sees her, look what he does. It's probably one of the funniest parts in the whole story. Then the servant ran to meet her. Today, men, I'm like, if you're pursuing a woman, this might scare them away, but he sees a woman available, unmarried, and he runs to her. And she's not put off by it. And he simply asks a, a uh, respectful question. It's not, please water my camels was, please, can you just let me have a little bit of water from your jar? And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking, mind you. He has 10 camels. Like it's one thing to give a man a cup of water, but she has this, this character of hospitality, recognizing that the camels are thirsty. And, and immediately you might think as a servant, you're the woman. He doesn't do that. Look what happens. And she is interesting because just as excited as he is, he runs to her. She operates with this efficiency. Quickly, when asked for water, he gives. When she sees that the camels need water, quickly she provides. Verse 19. Now when when she had finished giving him the drink, she said, I'll draw also for your camels. Until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw and she drew for all his camels. Servant. Wanting to... to see if this is the woman. When the camel had finished drinking, verse 22. The man took a gold ring, weighing of half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold. So he ends up waiting. Oh, did I see that? Yeah. Meanwhile, verse 21. I feel like I have jumped over that verse. verse. 21, let me read it again. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence. Watching to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. He watches her as she goes back and forth to water the ten camels. She needs to be available, unbetrothed, willing, hospitable, willing to feed ten camels. And he watches till every last camel is watered. And when he sees, he gives her a gift. The gift is substantial. When he had, she had finished. He gives her these rings and these bracelets. I say substantial because, if you take it at the currency today, it's like a seven thousand dollar gift. He's excited. So, Lord, I prayed as I'm praying. Behold, like I have to see it, and when I see it, I'll know. And he watches the whole thing take place in front of him. And Rebecca perform perfectly. He says, here's a gift. Now he's going to ask a big question. I just wanted a sip. Camels are watered. Can I stay at your house tonight? Look at this. Really forward. Verse 23. Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of, plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. And when he hears this, it's such a fun story. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Coincidence. Or God guiding with his sovereign hand the woman to the well at the exact time this unnamed ordinary servant of Abraham who's looking for a wife for Isaac approached the well at the same time. Coincidence? Or the sovereign hand of God dictating his plan to be furthered for the promises of Abraham. And the servant knows who God is And walks in light of that knowledge. And he falls to the ground. Verse 27. And he said. Blessed be the Lord. The God of my master Abraham. Who has not forsaken his loving kindness. And his truth toward my master. As for me. The Lord. Has guided me. In the way to the house. Of my master's brother. this ordinary unnamed servant got to Rebecca not by his hand, but the hand which guided him to her. And when she hears about it, the real work starts. And he, the third part of the story, is going to be put before us where he has to make an exhortation. She doesn't know yet. She's just got a good gift. She doesn't know that He's going to ultimately ask for her. But he, but she hears he's family or he's related to Abraham as a servant. And so she runs home. And in the next verses 29 through 61, I'm not going to be able to go through all of it for the sake of time. But this servant is going to have to have his exhortation before the family and, and, and show them and plead with them to see that God has appointed Rebekah as Isaac's wife. Verse 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And we're going to learn about Laban in a few weeks to come. He's a funny guy. He's always out for money. Or getting the edge. And when Laban sees that Rebekah has some gold for just feeding camels? Look at verse 30. When he saw the ring and the bracelet on his sister's wrists, when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me. Oh, Rebe- Laban's ready. You gave him some water. Well, I'm going to get the stalls ready. I'm going to make him dinner. I'm going to wash his feet. He's ready for it. And this is what the man said. He went in and he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels, just as she said, at the spring, verse 31. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? Everything's about the camels for Laban. So the man entered the house, and then Laban unloaded the camels and gave straw feed to the camels. <laughs> Poor guy. It's humorous for how the servant's going to respond. And with water to wash his feet, and feet for the men, not only for the servant, but the feet of the servant's men who were there with him. It's almost like, you know, when you go to those fancy hotels, they bring you up to the door, and the guy stands like this. Laban's like, ready. Verse 33, but when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. Oh, pull it back. And so Laban said, speak on And this unnamed ordinary man is going to say, I am Abraham's servant. And piece by piece, he's going to exhort this family about the activity which God has placed or has worked among Abraham's life. You can see the camels. My God, the God of Abraham, has promised him prosperity, wealth, land from him, a generation, a nation which will impact the whole world. He will be the blessing to the whole world. He goes on to describe the activity which God has placed in Abraham's life. And you can see a piece of it here. But he he has a son, Isaac, and he doesn't have a wife. He's crafty. He knows this woman is available. But he has to walk them along, showing them that this is not just a selfish request, but he has to speak in such a way to show that this is what God is doing and asking of them. And so when he talks about, I didn't know where I was. I don't know who lives here. And so I, when I got here, knowing that I needed a wife for Isaac, I did what only any individual could do who trusts in the sovereign hand of God. I prayed. And he goes on to describe, as I was praying, bam, there was this woman. And she not only gave me a drink, but she watered all, or gave water to all my camels. And he slowly just showed the hand of God guiding him along the way, not just in Abraham's life, but also in his journey of finding a wife. And ultimately, when he sees the woman as her And he asks her who she is and finds out that she's related to Abraham and is unbetrothed. He responds in worship. Verse 48. And when I found out that Rebecca was single, available, of Abraham's family, I bowed low and I worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me. In the right way to take the daughter of a master's kinsman for his son. And then he comes to the strategic point in verse 49. It's one thing to show people God's hand in something. It's another thing for those people who have heard or even witnessed it to buy into it. And now he asks for their insight and so he says in verse 49 so now if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master tell me and if not let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left I see God in this do you because if you don't don't waste my time that's essentially what he's saying and their response in light of his exhortation is in verse 50. Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord. Clearly God is here, guiding his hand. Randomly, not by coincidence, putting the two of you at the well at the same time. So we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. It's only after this the unnamed servant gets the wealth out. He's smart because he gives some to Laban, he did prepare the, the stalls, but he gives some substantial gifts to her mother. What's remarkable about this story, the one who's most honored are really two people. You have this unnamed ordinary servant who doesn't know where to go, so he rests in the sovereign hand who guides people. He prays. The other hero in this story is Rebecca. Her life, she has no idea. When she dips her hand in the pot to give to the servant or pours the pots out for the camels, in a matter of 12 hours, her life is changed. Like, as a father, hearing that your daughter is going to go off, give us some time to ease that transition. Upon hearing that they were willing to let her go, he finally eats. And then he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up. So in the morning, verse 54 you see this take place. Then he and the man were with him, ate and drank. And he spent the night. One day, this story is being described. And when they arose in the morning, the servant said, Send me away to my master. Now I, I, I totally get it. Why the family would say, Well, hold up. This may not be new to you, but this is new to us. In verse 56, he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. God's here. God's amidst this. He's, he's made this possible. Send me away that I may go to my master. Verse 57 They said, Well, we'll call the girl and console her wishes. This is a little too fast. Why don't you stay for like 10 days? You see that in verse 55. Give us some time to say goodbye. Notice Rebecca's response. 58. Then they called Rebecca. And said to her, will you go with this man? Now, Rebecca, she witnessed all of this herself. Witnesses the hand of God in the midst of it. And her response is immediate. Family's like, wait 10 days. And she says, no, I will go. When we see the sovereign hand in the midst of guiding people to accomplish his purposes, the people of God, even though it may not make sense to us, Rebecca sets us an example of what it looks like. I'll go. Why wait? Because it's not a coincidence that we met. And so not only did this servant find a available, family-related, unbetrothed. He found a woman willing to go. And I think that's probably what's the hardest thing about this whole story. We can see the hand of God in something, and sometimes, while we might be amazed by it, to be so quickly to go so many reasons, so often we want to rationalize it and make sure. And I think there are sometimes good reason to do that. But here it's so obvious we have to move forward. The story progresses. The family blesses her. They send her off. I think it's fitting as the story concludes, as the the fourth part of the story concludes, he has this unnamed ordinary servant gives his testimony to Isaac. I think it's fitting. You'll see it in verse 63. Isaac, he's out in the field. you got to recognize what he's doing. Isaac, in verse 63, went out to meditate. The whole story is wrapped up with these people who are living their lives consciously aware That God guides his sovereign purposes with people and through people. Meanwhile, Rebecca and the servant, they're running, yet God is guiding their hand. Isaac is waiting and meditating. In the evening, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, standing, the camels were coming. Rebecca, she's going to see him. She starts getting ready for the wedding. Verse 66. Servant told Isaac all the things he had done. What a fun time that would have been. I had no idea. All sorts of girls. I prayed. This is what I prayed for. A woman that would let me drink and then feed or drink give water to all my camels. That was going to be a sign. And so I waited. You know, some... Some women, they might feed one or two camels. I wanted to make sure this one was fulfilling all 10 camels. And she did, one after the other, after the other. After. I couldn't believe it. And then when I asked her whose family you're from, you wouldn't believe it. She's related. Like you could just imagine the whole story. Like God showed up and showed it right in front of my face so that I could see it. And it shaped the way after my bride, this is how I look. It would have been a fun time. You know what Isaac does? Put it in my mom's tent. Let's get married. And that's how it concludes. Say so I want to talk about church planning. And this is our convictional response. This, this story, I guess you could use. I don't think this is a, t- a template. Fathers, for how to find... Husband for your daughters or, or yeah, husband for your daughters or daughters for your or wives for your husbands or sons. Get it all mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> Get in my own head and mess it all up. But I don't think this is a pattern like of teaching you how to do it. I do think what's being taught to us is that Rebecca, Isaac, Abraham, and this unnamed servant they were aware, consciously aware, that the affairs of men are guided by the hand of God. And so with that awareness, I just don't want to go where you don't, you're don't. you not, Lord. Just show me where you're at. And where you're at, I'll go. So if you're not there, can you just put a little bit of your hand in front of my face so that I can know that we're not wasting our time and it was this awareness of God that shaped the very way that Abraham Isaac Rebecca and this this unnamed servant walked and it's for those reasons I believe I think I can talk about church planting this unma- this unnamed servant, He couldn't see the unseen, but God is the one who could see where this man needed to go and to whom was appointed to be the woman to marry Isaac. And there is so much unknown when it comes to church planning. And it is from my experience and what was so convicting about this is that We'll be celebrating our ninth year in September, and I've seen that hand. Like, Adam, Kim, you want to go? I don't have any money. (laughs) There's so much that feels like at risk. You don't want to bring the wrong woman back, right, to Isaac. That's, That's not good. Just give me the woman that's been set aside for him. And Rebecca is remarkable because she now becomes historically now being called the female Abraham for the way that she's willing to go as she sees the hand of God put in front of her. And so, what I love about this story, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Rebecca, man or woman, this is how God wants his people to walk, consciously aware. That his sovereign hand guides the patterns of men so as to accomplish his will. And in church planning, in our journey to try cities, we have seen that so much unseen in the beginning. Finances, support, people, a place. We didn't have camels. We didn't have even a bracelet to give away. We met in a coffee shop, later in a garage. But we did have this, a sense of God's going with us. And along the way, we have seen God work ahead of us. We were, I mean, just to be, you are the answer to many prayers. I remember walking across the parking lot once, a coffee shop, and thinking, Lord, where are the people I get to sing with? You are the answer to many prayers. This room that we sit in, I, when we first heard that the gym was moving in this building, it was like a gut punch. Our, our idea was, we're going to take over this building, and we had this little room over there. You can go over there. You can see the sanctuary where we once were, and we we're like, "Now we can never grow." Unknown that they were just going to renovate it for us. Since the very beginning, we have had, since that this hope that God would guide us along the way, and all along the way, it has been our hope and our desire that not only we become a church, but that we could encourage our people. To be willing to be church planners themselves or, or missionaries or maybe even future ministers. Adam that preached a sermon once, we wanted to be a blessing not only to the city, but to the world, that God would use us. Um, small people, but we don't have a small God. And so we have desperately, if you if you've been around long enough, we have church planning in our blood. And I don't think it's there because we just hope for it. I think it's because God is giving us our hope for these. And so we've always been praying. The one thing that we've had this hiccup about over the years is, who's going to go? In fact, some of you are familiar with who Brandon and Lisa Gregory are. Early on, we were praying that Brandon might be the one willing to go. And we support him in her seminary. One thing I like about this story is like, God gets to say no. And so he did. He used the idea of church planning to stir within both Brandon and Lisa's heart the idea for ministry and then dictated where they were appointed to go. Estonia. And so over the last several years, it's been, who are the leaders to go? About four years ago, Adam brought it before the elders and said, What about me? And the timing wasn't right. We had things that we still had to do here at Reliance. We're always building Um, more walls or shoring up some other aspects of ministry. It just wasn't right where Kim was at and, and work. And so it wasn't right at that time. But recently, things have changed. I feel like right now, I'm like this unnamed servant trying to persuade Rebecca's family to show that God's in it. To my family. The time has been where I don't know how how it's possible that God would stir Adam and Kim's heart to church planning after doing it once. That has to be an act of God. You know the city. It doesn't need more services, it needs more churches. The reason why we don't haven't decided to do more services is because we love the fellowship, and the fellowship is, is what binds us together and doing multiple services. Our community needs more churches where they know one another, where they can grow with one another. And now, after a period of time, the season seems right to send Adam and Kim. And on top of that, we have a family, after sending a family on the mission field that comes back. You know the Babers. They're willing to go on church planning mission with Adam and Kim. Coincidence, or is it the hand of God dictating His hand of where to go and whom to go with? Four years ago, we didn't have a number of churches that were supporting this. As of when Adam said, "I'm thinking about church planning," we have now four local churches that are wanting to go. And support with this, whether through prayer or through finances. Some of you have said already, we'll go. And so the benefit of Genesis 24 is like you get to see what like the unseen ordinary man can't see. But we're walking now on this journey where we're like, I see God's hand here, I see God's hands here, we see God's hand here, and we're asking you, do you see it too? I'm not saying all this because I I want all y'all to leave. (laughs) The reality is, some of you have, when hearing God planning on their hearts that we're going to go to Pasco, it just makes sense. More than anything, I want my PR people to be ready. If God puts it upon their heart to be like Rebecca, I'll go. The reality is also for those who remain to be willing to go. I'll fill those spots where those people once served. I know, and to some extent, what it's like to go to a place you don't really know, and hope that people buy into what you believe God is doing. I know for the church plant that's yet to come, there are many concerns. Where are we going to meet? That's a big one. For reliance, there's concerns for us too. We still have a financial responsibility to the things that we decide to do here. But I do know this, that's what makes me excited. The unknown and entrusting in the Lord to Direct us, to guide us. That we ought to be a people who are consciously aware that that He guides the hands of people's lives to accomplish His sovereign purposes is the God that we serve. And so these concerns are opportunities for us to see God show up. There's no doubt in my mind that over the last nine years in our ministry, God has been sovereignly guiding us. Mr. Vandervert, we want the property and land. Can't afford it. Can you give us the corner for free? I remember one of our elders, I think it was you, Dave, told Mr. Vandervert, I think God made you build that, leave it vacant for 10 years so that a church could buy it. And his response was, Yeah, I totally believe that. Find out he's a Christian. You are the answer to many prayers. But we're not done. This city needs more churches. And so that means whether you go or whether you stay, I'm inviting you. I'm asking you to pray. Just like the servant did. God, would you guide us? If you say no, which God has the right to pull the rug out from it, he does the moment you say no, we're done, right? But if you keep saying yes, we're going, we'll walk, we'll send, we'll fill the gaps. I want you to pray. Two, I want you to seriously consider how you're going to use the next 10 years of your life as a result to church. You get strength in a church, or you're going to go see another church started. And be willing to submit those prayers to a people and into elders who will say to you, we love that you're willing to go, but we want you to stay. Or, we love that you're willing to go, we would love to send you and walk with you in that journey. I love this story. and I think I've talked long enough. I love this story because this unnamed ordinary man is consciously aware that the very hand of God dictates how people walk and as the servant he just shows me your hand and that's what I want reliance to walk in if you're in this God show me your hand if not you have the right to change our course maybe he wants us to be a part of strengthening local churches who desperately need it now I'd love to see that be a part of our mission as well All I'm asking is you pray, ask, and consider how you're going to use the next 10 years of your life in this church or the church where we might send. And venture with us as we pray that God would keep guiding us. Let's pray. Lord, it wasn't just Abraham that you said, go. It wasn't Isaac that you just said, go. Or Rebecca, to whom you said, go. We know you are the same God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. For Christ, after his resurrection, appeared before his disciples and said, go. And Lord, we love what you've done here. And we are excited what you will continue to do. But Lord, I pray that as a people, we will be always willing, if when you call, to go. And if not, and would allow us, want us to stay, that we would not just be idle stayers, but fully functioning participants in what God has called us to do in a local church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.